Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected with us is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community, and we would love the opportunity to connect with you in person. One way to do that is to join us in Dallas this September 24th through the 25th at the National Faith Driven Entrepreneur Conference at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. We'll be recording live episodes and joined by friends like Andy Crouch, Phil Vischer, and the leaders of this movement. Go to our website to register. While you're there, please send us any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you or any questions you might have about being a faith-driven entrepreneur. Some faithful men, the Bible says, were sawn in two and were fed to the lions. And sometimes God shut them out of lions. And sometimes he delivered people from certain death. I don't know what your tomorrow is going to be. I just know that God is going to let you have his peace in whatever tomorrow brings if you walk with him. And so that phrase in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 40, that it may go well with you is not to be distorted to mean that your business is going to work. It means that the way you work in your business is going to end with you hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome back, everybody, to both the Faith Driven Entrepreneur and the Faith Driven Investor Podcast. That's right. This is a special episode. We're coming together. We're not social distancing with technology. We're using technology to bring our audiences of both Faith Driven Entrepreneur and Faith Driven Investor into one special podcast. And I might warn you, if you're planning on this being the normal 30 minutes or so, we're going to run a little longer today because our special guest is Todd Wagner. And Todd is the lead pastor at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. And if that name Watermark sounds familiar to you, it's probably because you just heard Henry mention it in the intro to this podcast as the location for where we will be hosting our faith-driven entrepreneur and our faith-driven investor conferences this fall. Lord willing, we will all be together in Dallas, Texas in September. In addition to being our host and a speaker at the event, Todd is also a great voice in the faith-driven conversation. His words of wisdom, or as his Twitter handle calls them, the words from WAGS, are encouraging. They are challenging and uplifting to all who hear them. And with our current events, we could all use some encouragement. Let's listen to what Todd had to share. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Not Tomorrow. We have yet another special edition this week as we interview a really key pastor in the life of Faith Driven Entrepreneur. When we think about a short list of folks that have really spoken into the strategy and just the mission and the calling and the vision of Faith Driven Entrepreneur, Todd Wagner is right up there, right with the folks we've had on before. When I think about Chip Ingram and Tim Keller and J.D. Greer, and as many of you know, he is the senior pastor at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. He is a great man of God, very thoughtful, about what it looks like to be a faith-driven entrepreneur and faith-driven investor, so much so that he and his elder board have graciously offered to host the first ever Faith-Driven Entrepreneur and Faith-Driven Investor Conference that's happening at Watermark this September. So we're so glad to get a chance to partner with you, Todd, and, and the team there in advancing the conversation. And further, and we're grateful to have your voice of encouragement in these crazy times. So welcome to the program. It is a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Henry, so much. And it's uh, it's exciting that we're going to get to be together live with a bunch of the guys that are usually on this podcast. And we are grateful for the opportunity to host. We're glad that we can. And uh, let's get this coronavirus out of here so we can make sure and get it done. 
Amen. Amen. I want to start this podcast, though, before we talk about what's going on in this particular season. If you haven't figured out by now, we're recording these special editions of the Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast at a time when coronavirus is really hitting the country hard in March of 2020. And yet, I think you're going to find that the context of this podcast is going to be is timeless, right? It's talking about how do we rely on God and how do we make most of the opportunity as a faith-driven entrepreneur to know and serve Him. Um, one of the things we always do on a podcast, of course, is to understand a little bit more about our guest. And so I want to start this podcast, Todd, by talking a little bit about your life pre-Watermark. And if I'm correct, you've uh, not always been a pastor. You started your life as a lawyer. Is that true? Well, not exactly, Henry. Um, probably a little confusing the way that maybe even I talk about it, but I never thought I'd be a pastor. In fact, I used to tell folks that if you'd have told me I was going to be able to take it a swing at you just because I had no idea, really, honestly, what it meant to know Christ. And the churches that I was around, even from a distance as a non-believer, were not churches that I saw doing anything really relevant. I saw them running a lot of very average weekly meetings with a bunch of bored adults. And I certainly, whatever I want to do with my life was not to lead average weekly meetings with, with a bunch of bored adults. So it was not until I, by the kindness of God, came to see the goodness of who he was. And then I got around his word. And then by God's grace, a few places where I saw men leading well, that he really captured my heart. Prior to that, I was headed to law school. And so that's what I, I really thought I was going to do. So, you know, did all the things to get my ducks in a row for that to happen. And then when God captured my heart, you know, really late in my teen years through the college years, before I was going to actually step into a law school environment, I just found myself actively doing ministry. And my desire to be involved in business and things of that sort has never decreased, which is why I love all my friends that are still in that space. But God just continued to grow my heart's passions for some other things. So I don't think my passion ever decreased for what I would say is the faithful work of the Christian in the workspace. The Lord just made it clear to me that probably the best use of his life for me was going to be to continue to equip and encourage the saints in the role that I'm in now. But it would be possible for an attorney to be redeemed and become a pastor. Well, <laughs> let me just say this. My friend, Kelly Shackelford, which if you uh, are around that church and law space, Kelly's argued case before our Supreme Court does a lot to defend religious freedom. Kelly wanted to be a pastor. I was going to be a lawyer. He uh, ended up, though, graduating number one from his class in law school, and he was actually working as a volunteer in a ministry I was leading at the time. And he just said, Todd, I really think I want to be a pastor. I said, Kelly, let me just tell you something, buddy. If God's calling you to be in vocational ministry, I mean, I even don't even like that term because all of us on this podcast are in vocational ministry. I might be the only one that the world calls a pastor. We know better. We're a part yeah. of the kingdom of priests. And I, I ended up telling Kelly, I said, Kelly, man, we need godly law clerks. We need godly, you know, clerks for federal judges. And we need godly lawyers. And I had no idea when Kelly was 20 that he was going to go on to be one of the leading advocates for religious freedom that was out there. And he probably had no idea that I was going to one day have the privilege of starting a church that would turn into what Watermark by God's kindness has turned into. So yes, God can redeem lawyers yeah. and God can redeem guys who think that life is going to be richer if they go in a places where they can get earthly riches. And so my story is definitely a little bit of that. Yeah. And, and to be clear, as much as I love a good lawyer joke, uh, it is amazing what folks who have gone through three years of law school and see that as a vocation to be able to make really an incredible impact on policy and helping redeem all sorts of different aspects of society. I think about immigration law and I think about justice. And so I'm right with you on that. Okay. So back to the things that I know a little bit more about. Let's go into this, what's going on right now, which is this COVID-19 
coronavirus epidemic. It's continuing to spread, and it seems like the end of pandemic may even not even be in sight right now. You've written a few articles about it, one for the Gospel Coalition titled, Should Christians Be Anxious About Coronavirus? And I'd love to hear about why you decided to write it. Well, you know, it's so funny. I wrote it right there at really the beginning of March. And as we can all look back now, just three weeks ago, it wasn't that big a deal then. Very few people were that worked up about it. But I had begun to hear some whispers. And so, you know, being a pastor, folks usually let you know what they're thinking about. And I had heard enough of this that I just decided to sit down and begin just to shepherd myself and shepherd others by how we're to think biblically about that. And so that's really what the article was. And I just sat down and just pounded out a few thoughts that I've been a little surprised how much traction it's caught and how long it's been a trending article in the Gospel Coalition. But man, when we look out there in the world today, whether it's the coronavirus, just a general sense of economic instability, or just the fear of what my tomorrow is going to look like, we all know that anxiety is well on the rise. In fact, what's really interesting is I think 2018, it was the first time that for three consecutive years, the death rate, or excuse me, the life expectancy in America had gone down. And the reason it went down were all because of issues that are around this topic of worry that we're going to talk about. I mean, because of suicide, certainly that that was at an all-time high, and so it, it reduced the life expectancy. What's interesting, too, before I finish the other two, is the last time that America had a dip in life expectancy was in 1919 during the Spanish flu. Hmm. And so we went almost 100 years wow. with life expectancy accelerating until the 2015 to 2018 timeframe, and it was because of suicide, it was because of cirrhosis, which we know is yeah. all due to alcohol consumption, and because of spike in opioid deaths, which people looking to numb their pain and escape from their reality. So yeah. this issue is not related to the coronavirus. It's been around for the last three years in a way that, you know, anybody who cares about people just needs to learn to talk about. Yeah. Hey, Todd, um, you know, entrepreneurs, just by our nature, probably live with a, a, a certain case of paranoia right? I mean, we're just like paranoid just to start with that things, are they really going to turn out the way we thought? Are we going to hit the plan that we have in front of us? Will we get that next round of funding? And will we be able to hang on to that team member or get that team member or land that next deal? And there's a sense of paranoia that comes with all of that, that can turn into worry. And you mentioned worry there a moment ago. Can you dig into that for us and give us from a theological perspective, how should entrepreneurs think about worry? All right, a couple of things. You know, it's so funny. When you said that, Rusty, and you just talked about how entrepreneurs are are prone to that sense of paranoia, you know, I'm a bit of an entrepreneur myself, and I'm prone towards real optimism. (laughs) You know, in general, like with a can-do spirit, that's kind of what I think is innate in a lot of us that are creators and designers and developers. But Part of being a responsible designer and developer is you got to think through how am I going to finish this and take into account the cost. And so certainly there's a sense of burden. So here's a couple of things that I should say that we should think about, whether we consider ourselves an entrepreneur or not. If we consider ourselves a person of faith, we just want to be individuals that are marked more by strength than we are fear. Proverbs 24.10 says, he who is slack in the day of distress. His strength is limited. It may never be said that God's people don't have what it takes in any given moment because we know that our God is never shaken. And the scriptures would encourage us 
to once we experience peace with God, right? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The scripture then says, if we will continue to keep our minds steadfast on him, he'll keep us in perfect peace. Or to use Paul's words in Philippians, we are to be anxious for nothing because in prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, we let a request be made known to him. We keep our eyes focused where they should be. And it says that we'll not have just peace with God, but the peace of God. And so, you know, let me just encourage you with one little story that, you know, I actually heard. I've got a friend that last night was listening to our Dallas County judge who issued a shelter in place command that goes into effect today. And he was just sitting there and he was watching this graph that this guy was showing that literally to make his case said that there was going to be half a million deaths, half a million deaths in our area if we didn't do what he was suggesting we do. And he felt the blood pressure inside of him begin to rise a little bit. And then he looked out his window and he took out his iPhone and he began to just film the birds that were out there. And the reason he did that is because, you know, in that very moment, you know, his eyes and mind, the eyes of his mind went back to that little section of scripture in Matthew chapter six, where Jesus is just encouraging folks to not worry. You know, he even talks about the birds of the air and how God takes care of them and so don't you know that you're more valuable than the birds that are out there? And he said, the birds, we're not concerned about what the county commissioner was talking about, right? You know, they were out there singing and they were flying about. Now, listen, somebody might say, Ty, that's all fine and well and good, but they don't have 500 employees. They don't have a bunch of investors that they use all their personal relational capital to get them to invest with them. And so this is my moment. So I'm not a bird. I'm a man and I'm an entrepreneur. And so what should I do? Well, if you're a man of faith, all right, what you should do is exactly what God tells you to do, right? First, I want to say this to you. No temptation has coming to you as a man who started a business, who started a fund, who has employees looking to them. No temptation has come to you, but such as is common to man. That guy that works for you is wondering if the business is going to work. And so you're not to carry that guy's burdens, and you're not even supposed to carry your own. You're supposed to let the Lord carry your burdens. And I just want to remind you, and one of the things I said in that article, Rusty, was, you know, worry doesn't really accomplish anything except creating weakness of heart and of head. I love the story of Corey Tin Boom, who, as we know, was one of the righteous among the nations, which is what the Jews called Gentiles that did what God wanted them to do in a time of great persecution of the Jews. When you were a Gentile and cared for the Jews, you got treated like a Jew, which is exactly what happened to Corey and her sister. They ended up being locked up. And, you know, she just talks about how she realized and learned right then that worry didn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it just emptied today of its strength. And so as a leader, one of the things I would just tell you as you lead your company is it's going to hurt your ability to do what you have to do, what your employees and your investors are expecting you to do if you use your energy to worry about tomorrow's troubles. That's why the scripture says, you know, don't be anxious for tomorrow, okay? Focus on today. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So your job is to do what you should do today and not to worry about what might happen tomorrow. It takes the same amount of energy to pray as it does to worry. So I would be a man of prayer, and prayer isn't just like, God, please show up and do this for me. Prayer is meditating on what God's word has said, and then to be attentive to that word so that you might do it. And so rather than fret, what you want to do is just say, Lord, you tell me if in trials, and we're certainly in trials, and as a leader, you're going to be in trials a lot. It says, if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, who gives to all men, and he does it unbegrudgingly. 
Okay? And so God is ready and willing to help you. But he can't help you when you're spending your time worrying about what might happen as opposed to seeking what you should do. And so, you know, if God tells us to do anything, he said, why don't you worry about how you need to love people well? Because that's right. your job as my ambassador, as, as my appointed servant leader that you have as a member of that company. So what I would say is your prayer should be, Lord, your scripture tells me to trust in the Lord and do good, to dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. So what does faithfulness look like for me today? And that's where you want to invest your time, not with worry. Yeah, that's good. That's such a good word, Todd. And something that I think that's not only relevant today, but for faith-driven entrepreneurs, right, is everywhere and it should be at all times. And, you know, I think in moments like this, a lot of us try to look back at history and try to learn and bring forward. And there's been such great words. And I know my email box has been filled with uh, C.S. Lewis and the Atomic Age yeah. and his, you know, his statements about that. And, and more recently, you know, I'm starting to see things. And I know you've written about this and talked about it, you know, what Martin Luther actually went through during the plague. And it'd be awesome to hear you, you know, talk a little bit about that, because that seems really relevant even today uh, from a long, long time ago. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about, you know, what Martin Luther was going through and, and what we can learn from that. All right. Well, this is great because, you know, Martin Luther lived in the 16th century, so the 1500s. And we know that the bubonic plague was um, something that was wreaking havoc in Europe for centuries. In fact, in the 14th century, so in the 1300s, I think they estimate 60% of the population of Europe died. Okay. That's not 25% unemployment that they're talking about right now in our economic forecasts. That's 60% of the population of Europe died. Uh, the bubonic plague is a whole lot worse than the coronavirus. The bubonic plague would create not just high fevers, but large, what they called weeping boils that would be on you. And even worse is because of some of the lack of medical development at the time, there were doctors that would be propagating information that would say that you're going to instantly die if the spirit of sickness that's in somebody who has the bubonic plague even looks at a healthy person standing there. And so the conventional wisdom was stay clear of the sick, get out, right? In other words, care for yourself and do what you can to survive in that particular moment. And so in the midst of that environment, a guy named John Huss wrote to Luther. He was another reformer in Germany in the, in the 16th century. Luther actually had been commanded, if you will, by his government leaders to get out because he was a bit of a prized leader. And they said, we want you to get out. Luther's wife was pregnant at the time. So I want you to imagine this. And this is where Luther responded with this amazing little statement about what we should do. And I think there's relevance for here for guys that are leading businesses, because when you are a leader of an organization, all right, you are responsible not just for the well-being of your family, but you are responsible for the well-being of others. And so when you think about what God wants you to do in that moment, you can't just think of yourself. You can't think about your reputation only. You can't think about your financial security only. You can't think about how you're going to come out of this and maybe get people to invest in your next deal. Because believers, and again, this is a faith-driven investor podcast, right? We're right. believers, so we do nothing. We do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, we consider others as more important than ourselves. We don't really look out for our own personal interests. We also look out for the interests of others. I read a Harvard Business Review article that we might even get to here a little bit later in our conversation that was just 
helping business owners rethink how they might act in this. But let me just finish what Luther said. He just said this. This is um, an answer to the question that Huss asked him. And the answer to the question is whether one might flee from a deadly plague. Now, this really great application here, not just for pastors, for what believers do in troublesome economic times or in any time of turmoil. He said this. He said, very well then, by God's decree, the enemy has sent a pestilence. So let me tell my faith-driven investors this. Sometimes that pestilence is a contract that didn't actualize. Sometimes it's an employee that was unfaithful. Sometimes it was a guy that led you on that he was going to execute on a business plan that you had that he's not. That can be a pestilence. All right. And so what Luther said is, I shall ask, first of all, then God for mercifully to protect us. Right. So if it's a situation where you cause the plague or the pestilence, then the first thing you need to do is own it. But a situation where you feel like you're a victim of it, like let's say we all are with the coronavirus, or in this case, Luther was with the plague, you should just say, God, be merciful to me. This is not a surprise to you, right? And so my job is to be faithful in it. You would not have brought this to me if you did not want me to faithfully represent you in it. That doesn't mean I'm going to get to always have it spin around and turn around and just be this great Silicon Valley success story or this great Wall Street success story. It means I'm going to be faithful and faithfulness is success. So Luther says, I shall administer medicine and take it. In other words, do the things you need to do to care for yourself. Make sure you're practicing sound fiscal policies. Make sure you're walking with integrity. The medicine of a businessman doesn't change in times of crisis. And if you're going to be in a world filled with some pestilence, the first thing to make sure you're doing is locking down your own actions and being excellent in them. He said, I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others. If people in a city were to show themselves bold in faith, he says, when a neighbor's need so demands and cautious when no emergency exists, and if everyone would help ward off contagion as best he can, then he says in this instance, the death toll would indeed be moderate. But, and this is the key, if we are too panicky and desert our neighbors in their plight, then the devil will have a heyday and many will die. And so what Luther was saying is we have a responsibility not just to care for ourselves, but to not desert our neighbors in their plight. And what I would just tell you as a business leader, we do have a responsibility to our investors and to our employees and to those that have placed their trust in us. But your responsibility is not to be the Messiah. Okay. You're not God. You need to go to bed when it's time to go to bed. And then you need to wake up and be diligent and have the mindset of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Okay. So that means that we have to build a house. It doesn't say pray and God will build the house. All right. It says, right. unless the Lord is involved in this, it's not going to work out anyway. Okay. And so my job is to do what I'm supposed to do to frame this thing, to have a solid foundation, to follow the blueprint. And then every good thing in my life is because of the grace of God. And all that anybody who invests in me or who looks to me for leadership should want to see is that I'm doing everything that a man entrusted with the privilege of my position should do. And that's your job, is not to be a savior and not to save anything, but to work humbly, to work diligently, to work well in teams, and to work in a way that isn't just to further your best interest, but to honor God in all things. Amen. Amen. Todd, uh, William here. Thank you so much for walking through that. And as we think about this, I'm captivated by this specific virus where so far, the number one thing they're telling people is to stay home, right? 
and to stay away from people. And so I think you did a great job of walking us through, you know, listen and, and take care of yourself and do what people are saying. But as churches are being canceled, as in-person gatherings are being taken away, and as that is the best way that we're kind of hearing that we can love people. It seems like an odd dynamic where typically you would run a run to people. You would want to be there, especially in the hospitals. I think about, uh, I've heard some terrible podcasts, right? I mean, a lot of these people are passing away with their loved ones not there, right? Because they can't be there. It's just a very tough situation. And my wife and I were struggling with, you know, what is loving people well look like right now? And as you have all have looked at that from Watermark's perspective and your congregation's perspective, what does loving others look like while avoiding contact with them uh, in this season? So, yeah, we're having to innovate, right? We all know that necessity is the mother of invention. And so we are having to innovate right now because, listen, part of being a good citizen is asking how my actions are going to potentially affect others. We're seeing a lot of the blogs that are out there right now is that the younger generation who is always fearless in the face of any kind of warning from any kind of authority. They're like, ah, it's not that big a deal. I get it's just kind of a bad flu. And my age group isn't particularly at risk. Well, that might be well and good, but your age group interacts with other age groups. And other age groups are a little bit more susceptible to probably some of the more adverse effects of the flu or specifically of the coronavirus. And so you have to be wise. And so again, Luther said this, I'm going to avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed or to keep myself from being contaminated because I don't want to perchance infect and pollute others. I, I don't know, like Henry talked about, I don't know how much we want to make this really about the coronavirus, but you know, the issue with this, the big flattening the curve ideology that's out there is because of the fact that our nation is better supplied with hospital beds and ventilators than any nation on earth in terms of number. But we also have, we have 300 roughly million people and we got a million hospital beds. So if the entire at-risk population is exposed to this virus, which they're more likely to be exposed to it, the more that they interact with carriers and we don't know who the carriers are. That's what's so sinister about this thing, that our cavalierness could put others at risk. So we don't believe that we're being good neighbors if we just act like it doesn't matter if I get it and it doesn't matter if I give it to somebody else because I might give it to somebody else who puts people at risk who won't be able to get the care that they need at a particular time. So I think we have to be wise. We have to, again, do nothing from selfishness or conceit. But at the same time, we don't want to live in fear. I mean, a frightened world needs a fearless church. <laughs> but let's not use our fearlessness as an excuse to be reckless. Okay. And so the Bible rewards obedience and faithfulness, not risk taking. And as a businessman, sometimes you take calculated risk, you step out, what you would say in business faith. In other words, you look at the analytics and you look at the opportunities before you and you do your cost basis analysis as best you can. And then you go, I think it's worth it. I think I see a market opportunity. It's not guaranteed, but part of you using your intellect and your skills, you take some steps that are a bit of a risk, okay? And all of us have different risk profiles. But let me just say this to you. My point here is that in the midst of this, we don't want to do anything just so that God has to show up. We want to walk with the God who's already present in a way that other people look at us and go, that was wise. That was insightful. That was selfless and not motivated by greed. 
That's a fascinating topic about the juxtaposition of obedience next to risk. And I, what I'm hearing and picking up from you is that there's a lot of nuance around risk. You're not saying don't look at opportunities and seize them and don't not go off into battle when there's clearly a battle that's to be fought. But wanton risk is not something that the Bible talks a lot about. And I think that's interesting for our audience to hear because so oftentimes we think that entrepreneur equals risk. If you stay in your salaried position, that's not risky. But if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm stepping out and I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to lean full on into risk. And I think that that's really interesting. And I think that it's a great opportunity for entrepreneurs that are listening to this to pray through what does that mean? Am I ever taking risk at the expense of being obedient? On this podcast, I think we've talked in the past about the good kings of Judah who went off and then took some risks and didn't seek God. And things went poorly for them. And they were the good kings of Judah. Bad trade deal, went off into war when they weren't supposed to. So what does it look like for us as entrepreneurs to be obedient during this time, but all times? And are we ever erring on the side of taking risk because that's what we think we're supposed to do in entrepreneurs and leaving obedience by the wayside? I love that. Henry, one of the things I'll just add, especially as Christians, words really, really matter. Uh, The Bible tells us all, you know, that God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It says, you younger men, be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourself in humility with one another. And so as a leader, I would really encourage you to be very careful when you say things like, well, I really believe God wants me to do this, right? And sometimes I hear guys say this and I'm like, well, look, if you believe that God wants you to do this, then it's not risky to do it. It's risky to not do it, okay? Because again, I want to juxtapose, as you just said, risk from obedience. And faithfulness is obedience. And so we have to ask ourselves this, did God tell me to do it? If God asked me to do it and I'm his, then I shouldn't even ask people to pray about it with me. But I think most of the time, what we mean when we say that, you know, is, hey, I'm going to kind of throw this out there. And maybe if it doesn't work, then, you know, it's not my fault because I was just trying to be faithful to what God called me to do. Well, God is not a man he should lie or son of man he should repent, the scripture says. And so God's not going to make mistakes. And so if God tells you to build a boat in the middle of a desert where there's never been a rain inside the earth's environment, that's not risky. But you better know that God's called you to do something. Yeah. It's also okay, though, to say, hey, guys, I, I, as best I can, as a man who's studied and, and worked and gotten more proficient in analysis and leadership assessment, I believe there's an opportunity here. And I really, this is what businessmen do. They ask others to have faith in them that they've assessed the situation correctly. And look, we're not always going to get it right. And the, the one thing that we can't say to people when we're talking in a business environment here, if you obey God's word, you're always going to get it right. But as it pertains to a business decision, one of the things that people will do is they want to follow individuals that will invite them into the process and not act like they've got all the answers. They can share why they believe this is the right thing to do. The analysis and the work, okay? They're not just some slick salesman. There's not just a deck out there that everybody's going to be impressed with, but that you can come and lay before them your thoughtful work and then not intimidate them or even feel rejected if their risk assessment is different than yours in that environment, but love them by bringing them an opportunity. And if that thing is supposed to work out, it will. And if not, You did your best to try and create the opportunity and to pitch investors. I think, Henry, you were telling me that you get solicited a lot, right? You say no to 99 out of 100 folks. And that's not because 
those 99 didn't know God's will, it's because for that thing to happen in this particular moment, you're not going to be a part of God's provision. And men should walk away from you, not with bitterness or with a sense of disgust or some sense that you don't trust me, but a sense of, hey, Henry, thank you that you gave me thoughtful consideration and loved me enough to believe I was even worthy of the conversation. And would you just pray that I see if this is not something I should do or that God would give me the strength and perseverance to continue? And then Godspeed, on we go and we're brothers. So I really, mean, this is an interesting and fascinating conversation because God doesn't guarantee us anything but that he'll be with us and that each and every day, we should consume ourselves with a desire to be faithful. And faithfulness is not to make success for ourselves. Success and prosperity scripturally is that this book of the law would not depart from our mouth so that we might be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So faith-based investor, invest deeply in your faith and just don't slap it on God that the outcome has to be what you thought the outcome would be. Go to bed knowing that you were faithful and that you weren't pursuing idols or trying to force God into your wonderful plan for your life. Follow him. Yeah, that's a theme we talk about a lot. And it's great to hear you look at it from a different angle here in terms of bringing obedience. And we talk a lot about the difference between being willful or faithful, or as Chip Ingram talks about, whether we're striving or contending, striving being under our own power, but contending being with God's power and in God's power. I think there's a lot about obedience in here as well. Todd, I love that whole idea and what Henry was saying too about risk and obedience. Um, Can you just dive in further on obedience for us because it's such a hard thing so many times for us to figure out, are we really being obedient? And I, I think it'd be really helpful for all of us and me personally during this time. Well, one of the things that we you know, want to be is just individuals that are aligned with our sovereign king. And you know, we are, I, I tell guys all the time, the bio that I want to go down for me is a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. And that would be true if I continued in my legal career or if I go into business one day. I just want to say to my friends that are listening right here and just remind you, we are a part of the royal priesthood together. We are a holy nation together. We are a people of God's own possession together. This clergy laity distinction is as unfounded biblically as the secular spiritual divide that some people have with the way they act on a Sunday or what they think about on a Sunday. And then Monday through Friday, you know, when they're dealing with Wall Street and investors, they go, well, hey, this is business. Okay. Well, our business is always to be servants of Christ and to be stewards of the mysteries of God. And so you want to just make sure that you're not walking in the way of the wicked or standing in the path of sinner or sitting in the seat of scoffers, but your delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, you're meditating day and night. And so all of your principles need to be governed by who you say you are, not on Sunday, but when you made a decision that Jesus was your king. All right, that should affect you in every aspect of your life. So worship, we don't call our large gathering at Watermark the worship center. All right. If this was a, a video podcast, I would be pointing to my chest right now and say, this is the worship center, right? My life is, to use the words of Paul and Corinthians, is the temple of God. All of us are worshipers. Jesus in John 4 just said, hey, there's going to be a day when you're not going to worship me on this hill or that hill. 
but you're going to worship me in spirit and truth. You don't need to have a, a central temple idea of worship where the sacrifice is made because your life, now I'm quoting Romans 12, your life is a living and holy sacrifice, which is responding to the sacrifice of Christ that was once and for all made so the temple sacrifices aren't necessary anymore. And so that is our charge and our call. And so I end every large corporate gathering at Watermark with this little phrase that now has become Hagwell. I saw a bunch of high school kids wearing t-shirts, ending text messages with hashtag Hagwell. And I go, what is Hagwell? And they laugh. They go, Todd, it's what you say every single week when we get ready to leave and not meet. And it stands for have a great week of worship, right? Hagwell. And, you know, that idea is when we leave our corporate time of remembering the goodness of God and reminding each other how to respond to him, that's when worship really starts. What we just got through was corporate celebration, corporate encouragement and equipping, but now we're going to go be worshipers. And so what we're going to do at work is worship. Work is worship. We say it all the time, right? In these environments, the the work of the church is the church at work. So my job is to, if anything, as a pastor, to encourage you and remind you that God made you a businessman for a reason and be the best kind of businessman that is consumed with honoring Christ and everything. You know, I don't want to quote more Luther, but he's got an amazing quote about a cobbler and the way, the kind of shoes that he makes. I heard, I think it was Brendan Manning that said, you can be sure that there were no cricket chairs coming out of the carpenter shop in Nazareth, right? And so there should be nothing crooked about the way you are leading your company or the way you're making decisions. Yeah, that's really great. So we can add now, hag. Say it again, Hag, Hagwell. Hagwell, have a great week of worship. <laughs> great. So we used to have BHAGs and now we got Hagwell. I love it. There we go. Hey, I like, uh, you better make sure your BHAGs run through the Hagwell grid, right? So <laughs> go ahead and have Classic. a big, hairy, audacious goal to honor Christ in all things as a worshiper. Hey, Todd, before we got on, you were mentioning an article that you read in the Harvard Business Review recently that had some great truth in it about our current time and also about how we can steward our business as well. Yeah, I'll tell you why this is worth maybe pointing to. And so, you know, I'll just share this with you. Um, I, I don't get to spend a lot of time with, you know, the Hard Business Review, but I do have a friend that said, hey, Todd, you would like this article. So, you know, I source articles lots of different ways. Sometimes I'm reading on my own. Other times a guy will ping me. This is one that my buddy Jeff Ward, who is such a faithful friend here, who was a lawyer and is now on our staff team, he's the one that turned me on to this. But the title of it, it was just written, gosh, three days ago. It's called The Coronavirus Crisis Doesn't Have to Lead to Layoffs. Now, here's why I'm pointing you guys to this. Whenever you read an article in the Harvard Business Review or any book by anybody, you want to read it in the same way that Paul and Luke said that the Bereans listened to him preach, right? Because you are being influenced by what you meditate on. And we should meditate on the Word of God. But we should absolutely be unafraid to be in conversation with people who bring across different ideas. I just want to always test those ideas up against the Word of God. So the Bereans in Acts 17, 11, it says they were more noble-minded than those who were in Thessalonica because they listened to what Paul was saying and they tested it or they took it to the Scripture to see if those things were so. So when you read a Harvard Business Review article, what you want to do is just go, huh, some of these suggestions that are in here, not only do they seem to maybe make sense, they're also aligned with what we just got through talking about. What it means for me to be a servant of Christ. What it means for me to be a worshiper in the way that I lead in this particular moment. And so 
these guys did a decent job of just saying a couple of the headlines in this thing were like, hey, communicate openly. In other words, too many leaders assume that if we show any weakness and we tell our employees or our investors that we're not really sure when this is going to turn out, they'll see us as a weak leader and they're going to want to abandon us or look for a different company when in fact the very opposite is true. They love the openness. I mean, the scriptures say this. So here's where I would say that idea is biblical, where it says that the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I'm not managing information to you. I'm going to be open about what I'm wrestling with and what I see potentially coming and what I'm doing to mitigate against a myriad of circumstances. The job of a leader is to anticipate what is coming right? And it's to define reality. And so one of the ways that you can help your employees is to just say, hey, listen, I've seen four or five potential tomorrows. I'm not worried about them, but faithfulness in my role would be to consider how each of these could impact us. And certainly we all see certain things. Here's some of my thinking about it. Here's some of my concerns and some vulnerabilities that I think we have in light of these things. And then the article goes on to say, one of the things that you might want to do is, in the midst of being open and sharing the plan, is considering to crowdsource different ideas, which biblically is exactly what God's word would tell us to do. I mean, he who isolates himself, the Bible says, seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. And so there are ways to just ask others, right? You want to wage war with wise consultation. The scripture says that the fool is more wise in his own eyes than seven men who give a discreet answer. So listen to other people and just say, hey, help me think through this. Here's my plan. I'm not just numbed in activity, but I'm also not going to confuse motion with progress. So what do you think of these plans and what are some ideas that you have? So anyway, there's just a number of different things that I saw these guys in this article talk about that I go, that is good advice because it lines up with what I see in the good book. So you should read every Harvard Business Review article, every Jim Collins book, and you should listen to every Todd Wagner message at watermark.org the same way. And just say, is it true? Is it founded in scripture? I love the way the article ends, because it mentions, and I can't speak Swedish, but it ends with just that a leader should have ice in his belly. And, and they use a phrase from a proverb in the Nordic countries that just talk about how a leader doesn't get upset because his stomach is, in effect, strengthened and cooled by ice in his belly. I would tell you that the scripture says the same thing, right? That, uh, that he who is slack in the day of distress, his strength is limited. And as I said a while ago on the podcast, far be it from us as God's people that we should ever be more marked by fear, insecurity, anxiety, and despair than by faithfulness and hope in our tomorrow even if that doesn't turn out the way that we want it to from an investment standpoint or a future wildly successful career for me. If I've done what I should do with integrity, it's successful. Amen. Amen. Well, unfortunately, we have to bring the podcast to a close here. Um, would love to spend more time going through some of these topics, and hopefully we will sometime on another podcast. But as we do come to a close, we always like to bring our faith-driven entrepreneur and our faith-driven investor audiences into what God's doing right now uh, in your life and in the life of our guests. And it's amazing how God's word shapes itself through our listeners and through our guests. And so if you wouldn't mind telling us maybe where God has you in his word, uh, it could be in the season leading up to it. It could be this morning. Uh, that's something he may have placed on your heart and what he's teaching you through the good book. 
Well, my mind competed right then for five different places in the scripture that I was hanging out a little bit earlier today. But I think I want to go to this one. It's at the very end of Deuteronomy uh, right now, kind of my reading through the Bible. Uh, I've been in Deuteronomy much. And so at the very end of chapter four, this is what it says. And I use this one because I think it's just a good reminder for us all to have in season and out of season. That's what the scripture means in Timothy when Paul says, hey, Timothy, we're not just Christians when it's convenient. And we don't just give God glory and honor when everything is up and to the right, right? In season and out of season, I want to be a man of the book. All right. So by the way, in Deuteronomy chapter eight, God says, hey, listen, I'm the one who gives you the power to make wealth. He's also the one that gives you the ability. Now I'm quoting from Philippians four to do well in seasons where it's not turning out the way that you had planned or had hoped. What I want you to know in the midst of every season, and whether you're in the midst of plenty or want, whether you are well-fed or hungry, Paul has learned the secret of contentment. And that secret was learned by Moses, and Moses was trying to remind the people of Israel to it. So this is what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I'll paraphrase the first part of this section at the end, and then I'll read you the specific parts. But basically in verse 32, he starts by just saying, just go back and remember who I am. So for the Christian, go back and remember what Christ has done for you. In Romans 8, it says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Will he not also with him freely give us all things? So man, it's wonderful that he split the sea for the Israelites as they came out of Egypt. It's wonderful that, you know, he covered the mountain in fire, but what he's done for you is even more wonderful. So remember the things that God has done for you. He says, in verse 33, has anyone ever heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you have heard it and survived? Guys, we have the Bible in our hands and we can open it up to read every single day. And then in verse 34, he goes on just to list and the different things that he has done. But this is what I want you to hear. Okay. He says, listen, in verse 40, so you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I'm giving you today so that it may go well with you and with your children after you. And that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. This is what I would love our business leaders in this day and age to know. There is something called gospel blessing. It's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 4. And it's very different than the perverted prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says that going well with you means you're never going to get sick, which is crazy. That your business deal is always going to work out and you're going to be healthier and wealthier and wiser than you've ever been. Well, the wiser part will be true. But the wealthier part, I don't know. Some faithful men, the Bible says, were sawn in two and were fed to the lions. And sometimes God shut them out of lions. And sometimes he delivered people from certain death. I don't know what your tomorrow is going to be. I just know that God is going to let you have his peace in whatever tomorrow brings if you walk with him. And so that phrase in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 40, that it may go well with you, is not to be distorted to mean that your business is going to work. It means that the way you work in your business is going to end with you hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Sometimes God might love you just enough to let you be tested with a trial. He did that with Job. And if anything, there's not a health, wealth, and prosperity trajectory for godly men. There is, I'm going to put you in situations that no man can continue to sing praises for me in just to show that you love me and not things. That was certainly what he did with Job, and it's your job to be ready if Job is in your future. 
Amen. Thank you so much for the good word, Todd. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Uh, I know it's a crazy time, and I know you have a congregation that uh, you're shepherding. And for you to peel out some time to shepherd our congregation as well uh, is just a true blessing. Well, hey, guys, it's a privilege. I really am grateful for you men as business leaders, the way that you are putting your faith to work. And through this podcast, through your ministry, through your gathering of guys, and the fact that we're going to get to do it in person in September is going to be really, really exciting. So I'm humbled that you thought this was a good use of your time, and let's just pray the Lord uses it to encourage His people. Thank you, Todd. Great being with you. Thank you, man. God bless you. As we finish each episode, we like to spotlight a partner that locks arms with faith-driven entrepreneurs. Can't think of anybody better to spotlight this week than our friends Dave Blanchard and the team that lead Praxis. They're a creative engine for redemptive entrepreneurship, supporting founders, funders, and innovators, motivated by their faith to renew culture and love their neighbors. Their community of practice operates through high-touch programs, robust content, and a global portfolio of redemptive businesses and nonprofit ventures. We'd encourage you to check them out and also the list of top 20 accelerators and capacity builders for faith-driven entrepreneurs to see how you can be engaged. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. We are very grateful for the opportunity to serve you, the larger faith-driven entrepreneur community, and we want to stay connected. The best way for you to do that is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. And while you're there, we want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you. And it's been very rewarding to see people come to the site and listen to the podcast now from more than over 100 countries. But it's even more important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your entrepreneurial journey, one that you're proud of and one that you're going to share with others. Hey, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman and program director Johnny Wills. Music is by Carl Kegwell. You can see and hear more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. (music) 